0: welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the customer experience landscape for 2022.
1: Not just the customer experience landscape, Stephen, but the new customer experience landscape for 2022, following on from the webinar that you did on the 2nd of February, um, your annual webinar looking at the landscape, um, and in terms of... Over 200 people viewed it. Great feedback on it. Always say it's really, really good. The time and effort you must have put into it was absolutely tremendous. And as usual, it just gets you thinking about things and has more questions than answers and answers some of the questions you had and then poses further questions. But it it was sort of absolutely excellent in terms of trying to look forward from the customer perspective. One of the things that came out or the main bulk of the webinar was you had five themes running through the webinar, the new norm or the new normal, which which won't have surprised anyone, and then trust, ownership, systems, and experience. How did you get those five themes coming out? I could see the new norm and we'll probably talk a little bit about that, but how did that then move to the other four areas?
0: What I tend to do when I, when I put these webinars together is I, I just kind of immerse myself in what everyone else is, is saying about the trends for the, for the new year. So we've got you know lots of, of kind of sources of information we can draw on. So, you know, we're always doing research on our panel and we've been doing that throughout lockdown. You know, how our how customer attitude is changing, what customer behaviours seem to be sticking or not sticking. Um, but then I sort of look look wider and see you know what some of our competitors are saying, what people in related fields are saying, you know what futurists are saying, what McKinsey are saying, you know what Forrester are saying. You know what, what's the kind of consensus view of what's going to be important in 2022, and that you generate a load of stuff, and people have different kind of ways of organizing that and, and sort of different emphases they place on that. Yeah. So I guess what I tend to do is, is almost, it's a bit like when you do sort of qualitative research, really. It's a bit of a bottom-up thing. I just sort of dump everything onto a, a you know, pen and paper, scribbly notes somewhere, and and let the themes bubble up from, from all those kind of individual thoughts. And those are the, the, the sort of things that seem to concrete out of that to me. They are, in a way, quite personal. You know, someone else might look at the same, like, bump of data and come up with different themes. But what I'm always looking for is I guess the things that are more lasting. So not just yeah, the surface yeah. level trend that you know that NFTs are a big uh you know hype thing right now. Yeah. But what does that mean? What does that reveal? What does that show you us about the way the technology is changing? So I don't think NFTs matter, but I do think blockchain matters, for example. Yeah. yeah. And also what does it reveal about customer needs and expectations and how they are changing or, or more likely how a fundamental customer need that's been there forever because we're always human beings is perhaps being met in new ways.
1: Yeah, and p- particularly trust, that was quite interesting, but that that came out of, I was going to say, a re-emergence, that, that, which uh, the, there was trust a few years ago, particularly in sort of financial services where people, perhaps were some mistrust knocking around, so people wanted to understand what does drive trust. But But, but you came at trust from a different angle and 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 that made perfect sense just want to expand uh, uh, you know where did trust bubble up from
0: again trust kind of underpins a lot of the 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 more service level stuff that we're seeing so if you think about trends towards let's say more digital that depends upon data and using data well so that's you know another a big thing that, that come bubbles up in a couple of other places is having the information the data about customers to, to create good experiences for them so that we we need customers to trust us with their data yeah and i think the word trust is 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 really the, the key word there it, you know it's
1: the, it's the right word it's yeah. the right word
0: and i guess the question for me then is a why should they you know what what's in it for them and i don't i don't think we're always very good at answering that question do we need all this data why are we storing all this data unless we've got a good reason for it i mean that's well, I'd, I'd argue certainly unethical and possibly illegal. Um, so, you know, we, I think we just need to think to ourselves what data do we need? What's in it for the customer? And if we can answer those questions, then I think they will be prone to trust us with their data.
1: You, you made the very good point in terms of when you're collecting that data, it's all about I'm collecting it to enhance the customer experience, is the point that you, that, that, that well, that's you what made. We say, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Allow us to personalize your experience. And then we don't. So, why why should I believe you when you say that? And then I think, you know, there are lots of other aspects that I, I I spoke about, I think are increasingly uh, becoming important. So things like diversity, equity and inclusion and accessibility and employee, um, you know, the, the employee experience, to use a bit yeah. of a word but how we treat our people. I think those are increasingly important. And again, really, they're all about trust. You know, are, are we trustworthy organisations that, Deserve a reputation for doing the right thing.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because part of what you, what you were getting at, as you're talking there, you know, and what you're saying, is is very much even about brand and image. And how that overlaps with the customer experience, Um, you know, there's there's different ways to build up trust. You've certainly got to do what you say, you're doing all those sort of things, but it's bigger than that, you know, in terms of, 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 from the organizational point of view, and the sort of organizations that customers want to deal with now and how they want to deal with those is, you know, forever evolving but has evolved so much more over the last two years and has perhaps done as you say five years or even perhaps a decade's worth of change in 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 two or three years just going I suppose to to the starting point which was the new norm which I just found absolutely fascinating because I think probably everyone is toying with the well I know things have changed what's going back to how it was what's not going back to how it was which is very interesting um, what ha- hasn't changed and and you put that in the backdrop of looking at some macro indicators and quite an interesting um, and in some ways a little bit of an opposing view but quite an interesting view that the customer satisfaction certainly on this side of the Atlantic is seem to be going up but customer sentiment is low at the moment uh, and and just balance those two two, two, two things out
0: in a way, I don't really have the answer for that um, as to why it's happened, um, but I do think it's it's interesting that, that, that they're so clearly trending in, in different directions right now. And one of the things that we've always said with UK CSI um, is that it, it is measuring how companies are performing for their, for their uh, customers in various different sectors of the UK and yeah. upon, like right now in practice. So it isn't about general perceptions the reason it's a useful indicator i think is that it is so grounded in actual experiences you know it isn't woolly and vague it's about you All know months. my shopping trip last, last yeah. month or whatever so i think that's that's what makes ukcsi such a great measure is that it is concrete it's it's based on actual experiences and that therefore implies that companies are doing a better job for their customers now than they ever have been before you know across
1: uk plc yeah. Comma, but when it comes Comma, to sentiment. But,
0: yeah, but, yeah customers, the uh, index of consumer sentiment that we've been measuring you know, every three months for, for quite a few years now is a different thing. It's telling you how do people feel about their own finances and how do people feel about the economy in the sort of short term and the kind of medium term looking forward. and. What this tells us, therefore, is that people are more worried about their personal finances and the wider economy than they've ever been before, barring there was a massive dip uh, sort of immediately at the start of the pandemic, so in kind of April 2020. Yes. So if you put, put that aside, the trend has been downward um, and is sort of continuing downward um, other than that, that sort of massive dip there. To me, and again, this is interpretation, I can't prove this, but I suspect what you've got there is a mixture of this pandemic Um, stuff in there but there is also Brexit stuff in there and I think people are really starting to feel uh, the cost of living squeeze and that is more and more affecting how they feel about their finances but also about the economy like does does it feel like the future is golden no not really at the moment
1: yeah and those two things you know at the macro level you put that at the micro level with bills going up cost of living all all that sort of stuff unquestionably that there's been some enormous. Game-changing shifts of change happening at this moment, um, which which you know are affecting people at both the macro and, and and the micro the micro level. In in terms of you know what's sticking, uh, you know uh, uh, at the moment that was a really interesting um, uh, analysis, and probably one of the first things I've seen that that is actually data-driven rather than opinion-driven or opinion-driven with a little mm-hmm. bit of fact um so i you know i think the reliability of that was was absolutely sort of fascinating and 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 sort of what comes out is sort of what you think comes out but i think the conclusions that you know that that, that you draw out of it from the customer point of view was very good in terms of okay so what does this mean for customers and employees going to be at home more home might be an office for, for part of the week home not perhaps by yourself but quality time home so you've got your Barbecues and doing up home and paint and, and all that sort of stuff. Certainly convenience, jumping forward. And, and again, that's one of the things where I think it's it it was happening anyway, but it's been accelerated. As has the online mobile mobile first has just been a complete step change, you know, mm. it, it, you know in that, and um, and I guess organisations have probably got to catch up with those four things and particularly those last two in terms of from a customer perspective
0: there is no question but if if we just look at retail there has been a huge surge in in online and particularly smartphone based shopping over the last couple of years but for obvious reasons but to a large extent that that does seem to be sticking it's interesting if you look at the 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 data from ons on on sort of the the sort of share of retail spend online and and some bricks and mortar it seems to be slightly coming down from a peak as you might expect like now we can go back to shops people are going back to shops but but it's certainly not like a, a spike back down to to um to where it was before or, or where even where it would have been on trend so it, it has yeah r- let's say roughly five years worth of jumps that jumps ahead on the
1: trend and it's how our organization is going to respond to that and I think one of mm. the things I really like about it is you do keep pulling out here's the trend and this is what it means to the customer here's the trend and what this is what it means to the customer and perhaps on the other side of that coin, in the way you said here's the trend and this is what it means to the colleague the staff member you, you talked a little bit about the well perhaps not the great resignation as you called it the great migration where people are now looking for better jobs that you know better in Employees, um, hybrid working. We had no choice other than rush into hybrid working. But we now have a choice how we come out of mm. working, or or, or or how we do or do hybrid working. Just want to expand a little bit on, on your thought process for that. Yes, yeah,
0: so I, I think again all these things tie together, don't they? But I think because of the pandemic, all of us suddenly started. A, well, first of all, working from home. If we're, and and I'm really conscious when I say all of us. It obviously it wasn't all of us. So lots of us who are traditionally office-based were suddenly working from home. Yeah. Of course, lots of people are actually still working the way they've always worked because they have to to keep you know, the buses running and, and food being delivered to our, all our doors and so on. But yeah, for, for those of us who could work from home, most of us were. And bit by bit, we're, we're, we we've we've sort of moved back into the office and then back to home again and probably back to the office a bit. And, and this kind of hybrid, a bit at the office, a bit at home model does seem to be stressing us out um so there, there is quite a lot of evidence that people are kind of exhausted, exhausted. <laughs> and and a lot of that is the sort of mental load of oh what do i need to bring with me and actually where am i and what how do i organize uh, that meeting and,
1: and what time does my working day start and end and all those sort of things
0: but i think for me the really important thing and this is probably true with all of the the themes i've identified really is to do things deliberately, think about it, make a plan based on evidence. Don't just knee jerk either back to the old way of doing things or get stuck in the way we randomly cobbled together during the pandemic. (laughs) Let's really think about what's the best way to do this. And for me, the answer is really clearly speak to your people and find out what's working for them. And and don't do that once because I think that the important, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, everyone loved working from home. They, yeah, this is great. Hybrid working is the future. I never want to be back in the office full time, but now some people are finding that stressful and exhausting. So maybe we need to keep engaging with people and figure out collectively, figure out what's the best way for us all to work. Basically, we haven't, we haven't figured that out yet. None, none of us quite knows what that's going to look like yet. I do think, we're never going to go back to most of us being in the office most of the time. That 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 isn't going to happen for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And therefore, I think the employers that figure this out are going to be very, very attractive and they're going to have a much wider potential pool of people, aren't they? Because if people are mostly working remotely, then they don't need to be within commuting distance of the office anymore. So that that's where the great migration comes from. Yeah. People are not resigning. Well, most people are not resigning to go and start a cheese farm in Cumbria. Most people <laughs> are resigning to go somewhere else, aren't they?
1: Is that and, your ambition?
0: Well, maybe. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think that, you know, the point is people are mobile and they're aware that they have more options now. And suddenly, maybe I can get a job at you know a firm in London without having to move to London. Yeah. And that's quite attractive for a lot it's of people. A
1: real opportunity when you start thinking of it like that, isn't it? We should do a whole sort of um another podcast on that because there's a really interesting thought process um there but organizations are right at this moment trying to suss out what that model is they really are talking of people as well. One of the other things that, 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 where you mentioned people um, was under the systems uh, area where you started talking about the customer experience starts um, starts with, with, with empathy and just building on, on what you were saying, perhaps, or, or we were starting to get out there a, bit, a little bit of perhaps of people being exhausted, but, but under the systems bit, you, you, you talked about perhaps customers being less tolerant now than they've perhaps ever been. I guess partly because we're exhausted, but, but less tolerant or more demanding.
0: Yeah. And I think this ties in with the, the data from, you know, UKSSI and, and the index of consumer sentiment, because there's a kind of logic that as you feel the squeeze on your finances, you become a bit more careful about where you spend your money yeah. and you think a bit harder about, you know, big purchases. Maybe you're still making them, or maybe you don't make them at all, but maybe you do make them, but you just are very, very careful about them.
1: And you can invest time in shopping around more or, and it's more of a reward you, you know there's more benefit in shopping around um, in in a scenario like this as well
0: and then if you feel again it comes down to trust doesn't it if you choose a supplier having carefully evaluated all the options and they let you down well then you're then going to be pretty cross about that aren't you because it effectively betrayed your trust so i think where all these things sort of tie together is you you have kind of a a squeeze on organizations now where I think customers are perhaps a bit more demanding and have got used to the idea of, you know, convenience, things being delivered next day. You've got the likes of Amazon setting those expectations. On the other side, you've got a kind of supply chain squeeze where you can't get hold of the stuff that you need. To deliver next day. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Perhaps all your delivery drivers are, you know, off sick with COVID. So there's all these pressures on on businesses. Good systems is the only way to really kind of fight back against that, Um, you know, that you've got to become more efficient and when i say systems it doesn't necessarily just mean it systems i mean people no, supply that, chain and everything you know, systems that. in in the way that the business works and and yeah as you say the whole supply chain is, is really part of that view
1: Various other things came out some of which we sort of talked to before about the full integration view of the customer uh, and, and and things like that but i thought in terms of the final conclusion and, and where where can people see the webinar who, who haven't actually seen it
0: so the webinar is available on demand on our website tlfresearch.com and,
1: and and you end with sort of five call five call to arms one of which being is sign up to purple tuesday which we haven't um, mentioned yet but just want to talk a, a little bit about the purple tuesday sign up to purple tuesday where we through the other call to arms the conclusions you pulled
0: in. yeah so I, mean, I wanted to end with some specific things because yeah. I, I think there is a danger with these kind of talking about the future, they get very nebulous and vague and uh, hand wavy. So I wanted to say, well, here are five actually concrete things you, you should be doing within each of the five things. And and the one for trust, uh, I thought, well, I, I do think that sort of idea of accessibility is really, really important. Something we could all be doing more of and Purple Tuesday is just a really good way to do that. So, so we've spoken about it on the podcast before, and we've, we've, there's articles I'll, I'll link to in, in customer insight as well. Purple Tuesday is the organization um, that, Celebrate might not be quite the right word, but it sort of is the marquee event, you know, one day a year to really focus on the disabled customer experience. And by signing up to it, you so you've got until um, the beginning of December now to to sort of think about what you want to commit to, make some commitments and, and you know, do some work in terms of, of accessibility for disabled customers. So it just seems to me there's no reason not to do that. You know, if, if you're... Yeah an organization that wants to be seen to be doing something for, for the disabled customer experience, why not sign up to Purple Tuesday? Why not make a, a commitment of some sort? And why not work towards that? You've got nearly a year.
1: And you will make your business better for doing it in all the research we've talked mm. about, you know, we've talked about before. A really good call to arms. Another call to arms, state in the obvious, but find out what customers value now, <laughs> now, <laughs> not a year ago, not two years ago, not 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 returning to how it um, was. The ownership model. You call to arms on on, on the ownership model.
0: The, the thing is more of a strategic question, really, and I think a lot of well, a lot of organisations have thought this through very carefully. Um, but but I think some are a bit muddy in their thinking about this. So to, to me, there are sort of two overlapping questions kind of what is your effectively what's your revenue model as a business like how how do you make money and how do you think that's going to work in the future and then overlapping with that is how does that tally with customer expectations around ownership so in other words if you're pursuing a subscription model that's great and that can work really well but is that what customers think that they're buying into or do they think they own whatever it is they're paying you for Um, because I think that's where you can run into some issues. If customers think they're owning and you think they're renting, then that can be a
1: problem yeah your book example was quite a you know you know was quite um a good one and um it, it, it was that moment when i realized that my of previous years my proud and joy of my record collection which was also a tape collection and moved to being a cd collection that moment you put that all in the loft because you don't need that ownership now because i can now stream mm-hmm. every single song in the world it was quite uh consumer moment and a consumer change.
0: Music is a good example where personally I like owning music. So I still buy vinyl records, um, occasionally still buy CDs. And when I buy digital music, I therefore believe that I own that. And the extent <laughs> to which I own it is questionable, let's say. Well you, if you don't sign up for Spotify <laughs> or you know Amazon Music, any of the streaming services. Then it's clear, you know, you know, you're not owning that music. It's the grey area that I think is potentially dangerous. Yeah,
1: and then the final sort of call to arms was just really understanding the customer experience and putting understanding qualitative at the heart of of of, of what you do. And, and, and we would probably say that most years and on most podcasts, but more so now than ever for all the enormous change that you've highlighted and you know, the customer experience landscape of 2022.
0: Yeah, and I think it, it's something that that has been lost sight of. I think actually, funnily enough, it goes along with something I've, I've complained about before in this podcast, which is I think the measurement of, of customer experience has drifted away from being a strategic measure to being a tactical measure. Yeah. And that's yeah. Th- there's been sort of good historical reasons for that, and that's that's useful, good data that the business needs. So it's not that I'd stop doing the tactical. That's it's good tactical data. What's gone along with that movement has been a loss of the qualitative understanding of the customer uh, sort of throughout the business. So so everything customer experience, customer insight becomes, oh, our NPS is is 34. And that's, yes, you need that measure, but what does that mean? What does that feel like? What does it look like? Yeah,
1: Yeah. it's not an understanding.
0: You know, it it goes along really with the sort of shift to big data. You know, I I think we, we need to get back to the small data, back to the, what does it feel like to be a customer back to that qualitative sense of what matters to customers? Why does that matter to customers? And I think if you've got that understanding, then for example, you would never make the decision to reach out to everyone's Kindle and delete a book off it because you would understand, uh, you know, you'd have that empathy for if we do that to customers, it's effectively violating their intuitions oh, about the fact they own this so, we've got to be very careful about how we um, do
1: that. Absolutely fascinating talking to you again, Stephen. And the webinar is available on demand on TLF Research um, website.
0: Thank you very much for listening. If you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at TLFResearch.com.
1: Have a great day, everyone.